Stand up. Ah, don't really stand up. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> I just want you to think about those, those words for a minute. Those words, stand up. We've heard them several times, even here this morning in church. We hear them all the time. We hear them in terms of our physical health, that, that the more we stand, the healthier it is. You see people now who in the office situation are going to stand up desks where even they're walking on a treadmill while they're doing their work every now and then. But, but we just know that physically it's better for us to stand than it is to sit. And, and we know that there's something about standing up for principles in our society as well. When I was a, a student at Alderson Broaddus College, I had to take German. And we had a lady who was a German professor who was from Germany. She had actually snuck under the wall and escaped from East Berlin, young in her life. And she was an incredibly dedicated person to everything that she did. Me and a friend of mine that were there going into ministry weren't near as dedicated to German as she wanted us to be. And I'll never forget the day that she walked into class and she literally had tears in her eyes. She was upset that many of us had not done well on a test that she had given us. And she stood up and she started to make a speech about commitment and devotion and all these sorts of things. And she took a pointer, if you all remember those pointers we used to use on the blackboards. And she drew an imaginary line at the front of the class. And she said, now, every person who is committed to learning German, stand up and walk across that line. You all know the type who sit in the front row every time. You know those folks? This girl that was in the class, she jumps up and she says, Frau Rudy. I want to learn German, and she marches across the line. And the rest of the people in the front row marched with her. My buddy looks at me and says, we probably ought to get up and go across that line, don't you think? I said, I think we should. And we got up and walked across that line, and we said we want to learn German. We stood up for something. Our hearts really weren't in it, wasn't in it, but we stood up for it nevertheless. And we both passed, I'm glad to say, and got to move on to have her for a full second year in second year German as well. We stand up for some things wholeheartedly. We stand up for other things half-heartedly. What is it that you stand up for? In the church, we talk about standing up for Jesus, don't we? Matter of fact, there are all kinds of hymns of the faith. Just kind of name some of them you can think of that, that call us to stand up. What are they? Stand up for Jesus. What else? Standing on the promises. What else? Any others? Have you ever heard, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, right? The song Stand By Me actually began as a gospel song in the early 1900s and when it was adapted and kind of rewritten again, but it actually began as a gospel song. And through the rich history of these hymns, we, we are challenged to stand up. It's deemed important for us to stand up. And culturally, people have talked about this. Aaron Tippin, the country song, you've got to stand for something or what? You'll fall for anything. It's amazing you all know that better than any of those old hymns that you cried out there today. Which leads us to the question as followers of Christ, to this question, we're all called, if we're all called to stand against uh, something and stand for something, what is it we're called to stand against and what is it we're called to stand for? Well, first of all, I want to talk about what we're called to stand against and that is this. We are called to stand against evil in the world. Now, this is probably not a great revelation to any of you who are a part of the church, nor is it a shock to those of you who are even not followers of Christ, that, that we who are the church feel like we are called to stand against evil. In Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22, 
<clears throat> we read these words. It says, if, you, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. In Psalm 94, 16, we read these words. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? And it has been the church, when you look throughout the history of the world, it has been the church that so often has stood up against the injustices of the world. It has been followers of Christ who stood up against slavery in our own country and other parts of the world. It has been followers of Christ who have stood up for many injustices across our world. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And it has motivated us to march, to organize, to argue, to debate, even on many of the hot-button objects and topics of our day. But as a church, we also have to admit that we have been guilty of not standing against evil, maybe in the ways that God would call us to stand against evil. What if, in our crusades against evil, we have misunderstood the biblical methodology of what it means to stand against Matter of fact, the verses that I just read for you, if you look at them closer, calls to stand up against evil, they aren't as black and white as they really have been interpreted oftentimes. In Psalm 94, while it comes up on websites in a search for scriptures that teach us to stand up against evil, it is actually not God calling on us, but it is a prayer of the psalmist seeking God to stand up for him against evil that comes his way. And in 139 that says, I hate those who hate you, it ends with this reflection that some of you are familiar with. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And then there is this thing in the New Testament where Jesus tells us to love our enemies. What in the world is up with all of this? Well, what if our method of standing against evil was actually a deeper call to stand for God? Now, now, I know that this is going to get a little confusing for some of you because it seems like such a subtle difference. Do we really stand up against evil or do we more so stand up for God? But look at this passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, which is our main scripture for the day. It's that love your enemies passage that I referenced earlier. Look at what it, what it says. Jesus says to, to you and I, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, aren't you glad that this isn't literal? 
Aren't you glad that we can write all kinds of things about what Jesus really meant here? We can extrapolate all kinds of principles and all kinds of of stuff. But that's not really what he wants us to do. He was talking literal. He was saying, love your enemies. Not in every circumstance can you give everything away because someone asked you for it, but you live in such a way that this literally becomes who we are. Paul tells us in Galatians to exercise exercise church discipline for those who are committing sin, but his motivation is not anger. His motivation is not to punish them. His motivation is a real concern for their relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want to defeat them. He doesn't want to win against them. He wants to bring them back to where they were created to be in the first place in a loving relationship with Jesus that is adding to the abundance of their life. In Galatians 6.1, we read this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, But watch yourself, or you also may be attempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now you wrap all this up together, and what is it saying? Well, what it's saying is this. we got a lot of good Christian people who want the church to exercise discipline. we got a lot of good Christian people who are mad all the time. we got a lot of good Christian people who are posting angry, nasty stuff on Facebook every single day. we got a lot of good Christian people who have lost what it means to love their enemies. Even in this last week. How many times I've been told by my friends on my Facebook post, if you are a follower of Christ, you will do so and so. And if you don't, then you must not be. Right? If you are this, you must believe this, and on and on and on. And every single one of you have experienced, I don't care if you're on the left side or the right side of politics or not political at all, we experience that in our culture. We live in a culture where people want to shame everybody else. Shame on you. Shame on you for being this way. Shame on you for thinking that way. And as Christians, we have fallen into that trap. Incredibly, we shame everybody. Shame on you for not thinking like I think. Shame on you for not being like I am. Shame on you for not acting like I act. And yet the Lord tells us what? Love your enemies. Pray for those who are even persecuting you. If someone's robbing you, give it to them. If they want something, lend it to them. Don't even ask them to pay it back. Because standing against often evolves into judgment and condemnation of individuals. Yeah, preacher, I like to preach against that sin. Man, when I was pastor of South Parkersburg Baptist Church for all those years, for 16 years as the, as the lead pastor, I stood in the pulpit. I knew daggone well how I could get amens out of those people. I knew what I could say. I could say some things and the whole place would erupt in an amen. Because everybody liked to hear what I had to say. People amen what they like to hear. You get that? But when you say something like love your enemies, you know that guy that was mean to you last week that you have every justification in the world to be mean back to? And you're telling me, pray for me, preacher. Well, here's the prayer. Just go love them. Well, I don't want an amen. I don't amen that, do I? That's hard. But that's what God calls us to. Because standing against involves so often judgment and condemnation of individuals. Listen to what Jesus says about this in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Could it be that one of the reasons that so many people in the world look at us as Christians, as hypocrites, that so much of our reputation in this society is, is kind of summed up in the fact that they think we're hypocrites, could it be it's because we become so judgmental as a church in America, in the world? I love this little story from one of the old leaders of the faith, H.A. Ironside, and he was talking about an incident in the life of a bishop that he was friends with. He was saying that he was sailing on, a, on one of the old-fashioned transatlantic ocean liners and he went on board he he found that there was another passenger that was going to share the cabin with him and after he met this guy he he had a little bit of a bad feeling he was a little bit less in the society class than he was and so he went up to the the person uh, who ran the safe on the ship and he said I'd like to lock my valuables in the ship because I don't really trust this guy that I'm in the room with and he said, if you, see, if you saw him, you would, you would know why. And I apologize for that, but that's just the way it is. And the guy who was unlocking the safe said, oh, I have seen him. He was up here to lock up his valuables about 10 minutes ago, right? <laughs> we get in this whole thing of, of judging and condemning and forget that we're all kind of in this thing together. Here's another little poem I, I love. I, it says, a woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between. When she tried to ignore to avoid a scene, she read, munched cookies, and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and he broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was a ba her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. How many times is that you and I? How many times do we judge those books by their cover only to be blessed later on when we find out they're a sister or a brother in Christ? How many times do we stand against something and it evolves into judgment and condemnation only to be reminded by our God that we are the ones who have been forgiven? Someone asked me the other day who I voted for. I don't tell people who I vote for. You won't see me posting political posts on Facebook and that kind of stuff. Haven't done it my whole life. Even though I'm a political science major by trade in college, 
I just don't do it because my whole thing is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And who I vote for stands in the way of that, I don't want it to happen. But I'm very serious about who I vote for. I take it very seriously. And they said, well, there's one thing about it. You didn't vote for a good one. And I responded with this before I could even think. I said, well, I know this. The one I voted for and the one I didn't vote for are no worse than me. And the things they've done and the things they think and who they are, they are no great sinners than I am. God forgave me. He's forgiven you if you've allowed him to do so. And we are not all that in a bag of chips, as a friend said to me not too long ago. So if we stand for something, standing for results in greater victory concerning the sin that stands against God and us. You see, we, we do stand against sin and we do stand against Satan, but we do that by standing firm in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, what? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we stand firm in the Lord and we live the way he calls us to live, we don't have to worry about being defeated. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In 1 Peter 1, 22-25, we read this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? We stand for our Lord. We stand up for Him. We live in a quote-unquote righteous way. And God will stand against the sin through us. God will make a difference through us. God will influence others through us. If you go over to John chapter 8, there's a passage of Scripture there that many of you are familiar with. It's a familiar where the woman is caught in adultery and <clears throat> she is sentenced to be stoned. And Jesus says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And, and you look at all of this and it, it ends in verse 11 with this. She responds to Jesus, no one, sir, she said. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's a group of disciples that were condemning her and others who were condemning her. And there was a Jesus who stood up for what was righteous. Standing against sin, the others were going to kill her. But standing for righteousness, Jesus restored her in right relationship with God. What would you rather be part of? Some of my Christian friends, I'm not so sure. Some of my Christian friends, I'm not so sure that they wouldn't rather punish people. They seem so mad. They seem so angry. But our Lord calls us to be the ones who restore, the ones who love, the ones who guide, the ones who direct. Should we stand up? Yes, we should. Should we stand up against evil? Yes, we should. But the little subtle difference is, if we're more in tune with standing up for righteousness, more in tune with standing up for God, more in tune with standing up for the way he calls us to live and love for the folks out there, then we may just see that we are the ones who are successful 
at making a difference and standing against the sin. Would you join me in a word of prayer?